0: Hi there, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Fanatics podcast hosted by yours truly, Andrew Rice, where our objective is to both educate and entertain the everyday golfer. We've got a very special guest today, as all our guests are, uh, but I'm really looking forward to this banter session that we've got coming up today. And our sponsor for this episode is from Vice Golf, Vice Premium Golf Balls. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. I'm really looking forward to this session. I appreciate you tuning in. We've always got a couple of good nuggets and uh, a very special guest today, Mr. Ted Scott. You may not recognize him, but I know that you've seen him. If you're a keen golfer like I believe you are, like I am, uh, you have seen him on your television set. Ted is the longtime caddy of Bubba Watson, and Ted and I have a lot of the same interests. Ted is a coach. When he's not out on the road, looping Bubba's heavy stuff around, uh, he loves golf, he loves people, and he really does a great job in communicating his message. I follow him on on Twitter and Instagram, and I would certainly encourage every one of you to do that. Um, Ted, thanks so much for tuning in and joining us today, hey?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure to talk with you.
0: Ted, I, I wanted to get straight down to to the nitty-gritty, and, and you are in a position that so many of us golfers truly envy. Uh, You are inside the ropes in the heat of the battle. And I know certainly as, as someone who's in the golf business, I think everybody in the golf business got into the business simply because we started out with dreams of being a player. And I would love to be there. I know I'm never going to get there, uh, but I certainly would love to be there and you get to be in there. And I know you've got a ton of stories. Um, A couple that I would like to ask you about. Ted, what is, I want to start with this one. What is the most nervous you've ever been on the bag?
1: Uh, Definitely a Ryder Cup. I would say the first one as well. Um, You know, we were- Where was it? Celtic Manor. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was- deer and headlights you know the crowds were amazing I mean the first the first tee is incredible they're singing these you know beautiful songs and harmony and uh and you know every practice swing that Bubba would take I mean take it back the crowd would go Whoa! and then he'd swing yeah you know and it's just <laughs> so loud and it's like an amphitheater and you know I'm just going oh my gosh you know and then the, you know it's you're playing for your country and yeah. you know, the pride and so it's very nerve-wracking um uh, you know and then we were I think we were first out uh, I was you know, two rookies going out first. So it was like, okay, we're in it, you know. So that was definitely, I would say the most nervous I've ever been, you know. Um, it's pretty scary.
0: <laughs> you know, that, that's interesting, hey, because I, I got to interview Tony Finau early in 2020. And uh, I asked him a similar question, what's the most nervous you've ever been? And I was fully expecting him to say, final group, on the tee with Tiger Sunday afternoon at the Masters in 2019. And he said, no, that wasn't it. He said, I felt pretty good then. He said it was President's Cup. And so obviously there's something to that team format that gets everyone jacked up. eh?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the fact that it's not just you, you know, it's your team and you want to do well for them. So the expectations you put on yourself is a little higher and you really want it bad. You know, everybody's coming together. It's a unique event. You know, it's kind of maybe something like the Olympics. In the sense that it comes around every couple years so it's not like well i can go play well next week you know or whatever and you don't always make the ryder cup team so you want to be on a winning team you know versus maybe if you're a good player you you might play in the masters every year and never get on a ryder cup team so you know it's kind of one of those deals where it it feels like hey this is my one shot i don't want to let people down you're playing for the pride of your country you know or your or your continent or what you know whatever so uh it's just a lot of fun you know it really is
0: uh, that 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 is something. It's something I've never been to. I certainly would love to go. Um, I would imagine, just like we said, the atmosphere and all of that is inspirational, almost. And and certainly being inside the ropes would be a different story. Uh, very nerve wracking. And and I can only imagine. You know, I I put myself in that situation, being in your shoes as a caddy, where we don't have to hit any shots, and I would just be, you know drop that nervous, uh, yeah. and then I cannot imagine having to actually hit the shot. Uh, give us, if you've got any, Ted, and I'm sure you do, give us a couple of situations, some interesting inside the ropes situations that you encountered during that those Ryder Cup events or President's Cup events that Bubba's played in.
1: Yeah, so uh, one particular comes to mind with one of our close friends, Webb Simpson and Paul Tessori. Um, you know, we were paired with them at the president's cup, um, down in Australia and not this recent one, but the one prior to it. And, uh, you know, they had made a plan where, uh, where Bubba was going to tee off. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Webb was going to tee off on the odd holes and it was alternate shots. So we, we we're walking to the first tee and we're probably, I don't know, 70 or 80 yards away. And, and this Webb's first, you know, uh, team event. And he looks at Bubba, he says, I can't do it. <laughs> and Bubba said, you can't do what? He I can't hit the first shot, man. And it's an iron (laughs) off the tee. And he's like, I can't, you're going to have to hit it. I I can't feel, I I, seriously, I can't do it. And uh, and Bubba goes, okay, fine. You know, so Bubba hits the iron off the tee and then Webb had maybe, I don't know, 50 or 60 yards. And he literally lipped out on his first swing. Are you serious? Out on his little wedge shot. So, and then uh, that same event was really funny because Webb at the time was maybe like seventh in the world. I think he was the highest ranked American you know, in the, in the field, I want to say.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, they were doing ultimate shot, obviously. So Webb, uh, it was Bubba's putt about eight foot birdie putt and Webb goes up and puts his putter down behind the ball. You know, the ball's sitting there just kind of like, you know, we do to read it or whatever. Yeah. Bubba looks left and looks right. He goes, man, just go ahead and putt it. You're the best putter here, man. Nobody's looking, you know, (laughs) and that kind of broke the ice and everybody, you know, giggled. It was, it was a pretty funny moment, you know, so a lot of little things like that that you do, you know, um, it's just fun. You know, it's fun to be a part of a team. It's fun to have yeah. the nerves. Um, you know, the 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 cheers are amazing. It's like the, the crazy part is usually when you get that kind of cheer, you're actually playing well. I mean, you can be mm. shooting 74 and win your singles match, you know, if it's one of those days where you're playing against somebody that's not playing well. And so you're yeah. nervous and you might not have your your A game, so to speak. And yet there's huge roars when you make a putt. So it's it's a very unique dynamic, you know. You don't get that when you're not playing well, typically.
0: And Ted, you've been on the back for two Masters wins and 10 regular tour titles. One thing we don't see on TV, and, and, and this is, you know, as someone who loves golf and who watches a lot of competitive golf on TV, it amazes me how the players appear to not be nervous. Uh, what are some insights what do you sense that you've certainly got you know you've got that straight line into Bubba and you you, you're feeling what he's feeling um how nervous do these players get and secondly how do they deal with that
1: yeah I think that's a great question you know I think that's something that every amateur wants to know like how do I deal with the nerves, right and the the first answer is they're nervous you know I mean people look at him like, oh, they're not nervous. You know, how's he, oh, this guy's ice in his veins or whatever. No, they're actually yeah. all nervous. You know, you see shaky hands on the first tee, teeing their ball up like we are, you know. Uh, you know, Bub was very verbal to me. So he'd be like, man, you don't even want to know what I was thinking when I was standing over that ball, you know, or something I'm like, wow, that's <laughs> incredible, you know. So he's pretty open about it. But yeah, they get super nervous. Uh, how do they deal with it? Practice, you know, preparation. It's like uh, the more, you know, I, I'll tell my students, to say, okay, if you were going to take a math test, you know, you go in and you fail the test. The test is not a, doesn't make you a failure. It just teaches you what you're weak at. So you go, okay, it reveals Mm -hmm. weakness. So now I go back to, you know, study some more and then I take the test again and I go study and take the test and you just keep doing it back and forth until you, you hone your skills pretty well to make a good grade on the test. And that's really what the tour pros are really good at is that when they fail, they, they evaluate and then try to work on it. Maybe If it's a mental thing, they might hire a sports psychiatrist. If it's a short game issue, they might hire a short game coach. If they're hitting it offline when it's, you know, when it matters, is it their mind? Is it their swing flaw? You know, so they're, they're looking to solve the puzzle and usually they don't get too discouraged. They're just trying to get to that spot again. And I think the biggest advantage they have, Andrew, is that they're doing it weekly. Whereas we get our club championship once a year or our four ball we're playing in. And it's like giving a speech, right? If you don't give speeches all the time, you know, you get in front of 500 people and you're you're up there self-conscious, you know, worried or whatever. So I think those three things, you know, really make a difference, you know, especially the the doing it often kind of helps you practice mm-hmm. and know that, hey, I, got, I get to do this again next week. If it, if it doesn't work out this week, I can try it again next week, you know? Whereas if it's your yeah. club championship and you haven't ever won it and you're coming down the stretch, you got one chance in your mind, it's a little harder. And I think that's why the Ryder Cup is, has that feel and I'm assuming the Olympics probably has that feel as well for the pros.
0: And so the message there that I get from you there Ted is seek out situations, seek out environments where you're going to be nervous, where you're going to feel uncomfortable. And the more you do it, certainly the better you're gonna be equipped to be able to deal with the pressure.
1: Yeah, you know, I worked for Paul Eisinger for three years. And interestingly enough, when I worked for him he was playing terrible. But yet, every practice round, everywhere we went, he was looking for someone in the crowd. If there was one person, he would call out, hey, you. And they they turn, and it's like Paul Azinger, you know. Hey, buddy, watch this shot. I don't want you to miss it, all right? And i think, boy, I hope he didn't see this shot. You're playing terrible, you know. But he was constantly <laughs> putting himself under pressure. And then we'd go play golf for fun. He was, you know, I'll play you for five bucks, you know. I mean, we one day, you know, don't tell the PGA Tour this, but we're at Hilton Head, teed off in the afternoon, and we, we get past number 10 and we get to 11 he's like all right i'm playing you the back nine for 5 bucks so i'm mean, you know playing out of his bag you know he just he just constantly wanted the heat and i think that's why he was yeah. very good even though he wasn't playing well at the time when he got in, in the heat you know he was very good at handling it because he was constantly putting the eyes on himself and he didn't seem to be affected by a bad, a bad shot the funniest thing he did we were playing in the uh, we were playing in the, the PGA championship the second week i ever worked for him in rochester and we we go out to the putting green and there's just ten thousand people in the morning waiting to get autographs, and see, you know they're they're just hyped up, right? The New Yorkers are there, and Paul's like, man, you know he's forty five, he's got a bad back, he's not playing good. And he goes, I'm not going to the range, I'm going straight to the tenth tee, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not a good idea. This and he pulls a out a three idea. wood, and there's thousand people on the first on the tenth tee there, and he goes, he looks around like this, and he goes, hey everybody, don't blink, I don't want you to miss this shot. And he literally popped it up and put a dummy mark on the top of his club. And we both just died laughing. It went like 50 yards, you know, you know, old guy, bad back, can't, you know, not playing good, calling out people. And, and that was really the thing that was made him so good. I think under pressure was that he was willing to be embarrassed, you know, and you have to be willing to hit. I tell my students to say, you have to be willing to hit a bad shot in order to hit a good one. You know, you can't hang on and steer Mm it. You got to be willing to swing like you mean it. And it go out of bounds because you really don't know what your potential is until you free it up. You you don't know how fast Mm -hmm. your horse can run until you let him run you know if you're always holding back on the reins you don't you don't you don't really know what you're capable of so that's the mentality i think that you have to have and you know it's hard to do that because we want to control things as humans We, we don't want to let go but um that's a that's a huge part of success in golf
0: go ahead and don't be afraid to fail absolutely don't be afraid. I, I'm, in my coaching, I'm, I'm really a big fan. I've got two boys. I know you've got two children. Uh, I've got two boys. And I'm always trying to get the message in them to say, hey, if you fail, it's okay. It's a great learning opportunity. We can, like you said, we can go back to the drawing board. We can right. evaluate and we can try to do better and come back and try it again. Failure is a part of getting better, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I like to say it's actually the steps to success. You know, every step has the word failure on it. And every time you fail, you have the potential to keep climbing the mountain. You know, I I, uh, gave a speech to my daughter's volleyball team and uh, and I actually looked up all these stats. I forget them now, but I remember it was something like Michael Jordan took something like one hundred and forty three final winning shots in his career. And I think the percentage he made was like 20 percent. You know, here's the guy that's supposed to be the best ever at basketball and he's only made like 20% of his, of the game winning shots, right? But he wants it every time, you know? So if Mm. you look at the numbers, you're like, well, he's a failure, but if you know who he is, you know, he's the greatest, you know, possibly to play the game, even under pressure. So, you know, and Tiger, you know, is probably the same way you look at, man, even when the guy was the most dominant player in this era, he was winning what, 30% of the time. So he's failing 70% of the time. So, you know, if you look at it like that, so yeah, you have to take a risk. You have to be willing to put it on the line and know that like you said it's just a, it just reveals what you need to work on you know and sometimes you know what if you're in the olympics and you run your fastest 100 meter dash ever and you finish third are you a failure no you you finished third that's your fastest time you've ever run but two people were better so be encouraged mm-hmm. like man, you know not not everyone's built the same with the same skills the same abilities so sometimes third is winning for you you know and so it's just about mm-hmm. the journey And enjoying it and growing and learning and that's where the fun is you know when you look back on your life you know it's not i don't look back and go wow we won two masters i think of all the fun times we had on the way to those two masters you know it's like that's that's where the journey is you know
0: yeah yeah uh that's cool i love that insight thanks for that ted um speaking speaking of you know be yourself and People often say to me, Andrew, you know, what's like physically? What's the most important part of the body? And I'm, and and I said, well, if I could have any part of any tour player, I would like to have Bubba Watson's hips. <laughs> I would like to have Bubba's hips because those things just operate on a swivel, and there seems to be nothing holding them back. Uh, what does Bubba do? to stay in shape and to stay flexible and limber and does he do anything and do you have any insights there Ted
1: yeah you know uh genetics are a huge part of of life right you know some people are just genetically gifted uh um you know I've even heard some trainers saying yeah my guy's too mobile you know and you're like what you know Mm. so maybe you know some guy has to straighten his his knee to turn well in the backswing the next guy's trying to flex his knee to keep from turning so much because he's so mobile you know so there's that whole dynamic for Bubba. He's a very genetically gifted man when it comes to the physics of the game, you know, physical aspects of the game. Um, You know, I think he works out some more for, you know, like, well, I'm supposed to do it, but I don't really think it's necessary for him. You know, kind of like John Daly, you know, John Daly didn't work out, didn't take care of his body, had a lot of poor habits, but the man as a genetic freak, he could still take it back and wind up more than most people and have incredible, you know, no injuries, incredible speed power you know beautiful action and yet never worked out smoke you know whatever you know so I think certain people are you know doing everything right and they're getting injured and not very mobile and their back hurts and other people are very uh you know genetically gifted they're mobile so Bubba you know he does do a little bit of exercise but I really don't know other than maybe the confidence factor because you you feel like you you're you deserve something because you put some work in I don't really know if it helps him a lot you know I think the therapy yeah. helps him more than anything. Like after the round, you know, he'll get okay. worked on to kind of help recover, but he also doesn't hit a lot of balls. You know, Bubba typically doesn't go to the range until Thursday and that's just for ups. you know, very seldom do we ever see the driving range. So he's not putting okay. a lot of, you know, hundreds of balls a day on, on his back, you know.
0: I remember one time, uh, I think it was on the Golf Channel. It was prior to uh, a round at Augusta in the Masters and he was hitting shots, Uh, on the short game area, the new range at Augusta. And he was hitting shots and it was, they weren't really commentating on what he was doing, but he was on the screen and they were just talking in the background. And it was this display of skill. You, you know, he certainly wasn't changing his club. He was hitting like, it looked like his lob wedge, but right. you could tell it was a low hook and a high slice and a high one and a straight fade and, you know, all of these different shots that he was playing. And it was just beautiful to watch. Uh, when I think of Bubba Watson, I think of skill. I think of a golfer that is highly, highly skilled. And what kind of when he gets out on the golf course, Ted, what kind of shapes and what kind of shots does he typically hit? What's what would you say are his go-to's?
1: Yeah, so uh, off the tee, he built a driver, you know, years ago that that's made not to hook. So it's very hard for him to turn his driver over. You know, he he might maybe three or four times a year try to hit a draw with a driver, but uh, typically the driver's always going to have a fade. And I would say the more nervous he is, the bigger the the fade. So. know if it's a hole he doesn't like or if it's a hole where he's just like i just want to keep this thing in play he's going to aim way right and hit like this what he calls a punch slice you know or dink cut and just come over the top of it hit down on it and you know with speed you can do that right if you have enough ball speed, you can get away with that the average person can't do that shot because they lose too much you know and and even tour pros all the time commentate man i can't believe how far he hits it when he hits that slice you know so it's pretty interesting uh his on the flight scope, his his uh, club head speed actually goes up when he hits his dink slice. It's kind of weird. He actually huh. swings harder instinctively, maybe knowing it goes shorter. So it's it's a strange mm. thing. Um, and then when it comes to the actual shots into the green, you know, typically if the pin's on the left, he's curving it that way, and if the pin's on the right, he's curving it that way. So you know, a left pin, he's hitting a fade. A right pin, he's hitting a draw. And then it's all kind of depends on, again, maybe how nervous he is or if he's between clubs, maybe he drops down and hits a bigger hook, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's where, okay. you know, he looks at it. But it's all feel. And in the first couple of years caddying for him, I mean, I had no idea. He would say, well, what club are you going to you hit? i said, say, what, cl- what kind of shot are you going to hit? And he's like, I don't know. I'm thinking if anybody should, needs to know it's your yeah. caddy, whether it's me or anybody, you're the one guy, I need to know what kind of shot you're going to hit because that, that matters, you know. And uh, so finally, after time, he started communicating better, but, you know, really just through observation, it's like, if I was to go in the ocean and, and observe sharks, eventually you kind of learn their behavior, right? So yeah. even without them being able to tell you what they're doing. So I kind of now see it through his lens as best I can. And so I kind of know, I try to speak his language, you know, uh, I think that's real important as a caddy. You know, if sure. you have a guy that, that likes to hear the word dink cut, use the word dink cut, you know, use his own mm-hmm. words to describe the situation. because that gives him confidence so that's something that I try to do see it through his lens what would Bubba? what's he feeling what's he seeing and then try to use his lingo you know to help him feel confident over the shot
0: and so Ted just wrapping up and correct me if I'm wrong here off the tee Bubba is going to go pretty much one way and I would think he's got varying degrees of one way it sounds like the ding cut is the max Right, neck shape and then he's got some where it might just be straighter or just a little bit of a fade am i correct and then iron shots he's going to be open to shaping it both ways
1: right and height the iron shots change you know height a lot too so his driver will change height and only curve one way and his irons will go sometimes straight sometimes big slices sometimes big hooks you know so it's pretty much You know, it's very entertaining. If you could get inside the ropes and watch him play a round of golf, it's fun because you're going to see shots, you know. And it's funny because he he doesn't set up really much different. You know, it's not like when he's hitting it low, he's got his ball way back and hitting it high. It's way forward. I mean, if you don't know him, you would have zero clue that he's even changed his setup, you know. So in the first year I worked for him, you know, his ball speed was so fast and the trajectory changed so much probably 10% of the tee balls, I never even see them, you know, they just take off and I'm looking like in the wrong window and it's too late, you know? So it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's worth the price of admission. If you can go watch and play, it's very fun
0: for sure. And Ted, you and I are both, I found this out this morning, you and I are both Arcos ambassadors and Arcos is a great program that you can attach sensors to your clubs and the everyday golfer can get that statistical feedback, that data, those insights into their game, where they're strong and where they're weak, uh, what kind of a role uh, does that play in statistics, for example, in what the tour players do? And how much advice would you offer the everyday golfer pertaining to shot shape we're talking shapes here what would you say to the everyday golfer pertaining to shot shape let's go with that question first and then second how important are statistics for the everyday golfer and the tour player
1: yeah i would tell the everyday golfer don't (laughs) to answer your first question don't shape shots you know it's like uh it's like telling someone, you know, to, to, to try to go the complex route when you're just kind of a beginner, right? You know, when you're playing yeah. the guitar, you, you don't need to know the pentatonic scale when you can't play C, D, and G or whatever. You know, it's like, hey, yeah. let's just get you some basics where you can, hey, you can play a song and sing. That's good for you, right? So I think it depends on your skill level, but in my 20 years of caddying on the tour, you know, very few ball strikers who are really good work it both ways, honestly. The majority mm-hmm. of them, even... You know, Dustin Johnson, he, I remember we were playing with him at the players championship and we get to 13 and he, and he literally hits the, the pins over on the left waters on the left and he hits an eight iron in there about five feet and he sli- and he sliced it in. It's like, he cuts every shot, you know, and that's really when he became number one in the world was when he decided to just start cutting the ball. And I feel like even for the tour pros, with the exception of a few, they're better when they're just hitting it one way, you know, because it, it just gives yeah. you that confidence of doing it. You know, I, I'm going to aim, and then you have this commitment that this ball is going to go here, whereas it gets pretty complex when you start, you know, in my opinion, trying to do something like what Bubba does. It's it's fun, but I just don't feel like people are as accurate. So that would be my mm-hmm. recommendation is, is don't. You know, pick a pick a trajectory you like cool. and work on it, and then maybe for trouble shots, learn. If you can't hook it, learn to hit a, a low hook. So when you get in trouble, you can do it, let's say. But don't yeah. be out there on the middle of the fairway and you're a fader going, I think I'm in a low hook into this hole. I mean it's it's pretty yeah, dumb. this is
0: the back left pin. Let let, let yeah. me let me shape one in there. Shape and one I in I, there. I yeah, I talk to so many golfers who they might be a 14 handicapper and they're going, they're trying to play that way. And I think a lot of it comes from watching players like Bubba and Tiger on TV. Ted, how many tour players do you see that go both ways pertaining to shape?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I always pull up the top 10 in the world when I, when I get that question from a student yeah. and I, I just go, okay. Cause you know, I've usually have played a lot of rounds with these guys and I'll go, okay, yeah. you know, fade, 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 both ways, draw, fade, fade, both ways. You know, it's like, usually there's yeah. two that like to move it and there's one that likes to draw it and everybody else prefers to fade it. That's usually how it goes, hmm. you know? And I think That's because the more speed you have, you know, you don't want that toe turning over. You know, as a great player, it's those guys want want that toe hanging back a little bit, and if anything, a little push fade, kind of little little more spin. You know, we we know from statistics when you pull the ball, it goes a little farther typically. So they don't want a ball going farther offline. They want to go in shorter offline. So just instinctively, they they pretty much will even say verbally, "When I'm playing my best, I'm hitting a fade." So you, I don't think you see a lot of that. You know, there's there's a few guys that do, and they usually are the guys with the Greatest hands. You know, they're the guys who just got incredible yeah. hands. You know, Tiger, Bubba, Webb Simpson is an incredible hands player. I mean, that guy's got ridiculous hands and he works it both ways. So, you know, okay. those are guys that are just, you know, that's interesting. Field, like that's you said, interesting.
0: <laughs> the Ted, talk a little bit about uh, distance. Distance is a huge factor. And Bubba's certainly been kind of the leader for a long time in that mindset of hitting the ball a long way and he's been the top driver strokes gained for the last decade or so on the pga tour and what do you think about the distances that the players are hitting the ball these days
1: yeah it's huge i mean you know that's the cool part you asked the question earlier about Arcos and stats i mean stats yeah you know take away emotion You know, the reason why when you go to the doctor and you tell them you're feeling bad and they run a diagnostic test on your blood or something is because they want to know exactly what it is. They don't want to go by your feelings. They want to know what is going on with you. And that's really when a player is like, man, I'm not driving the ball good. And then you look at his stats and like, well, you're actually plus one in strokes game driving. Okay, then you need to look somewhere else, buddy, for your game. You know, that's where for me, that's what Arcos did for me was I was actually always thought I was a bad driver in the last several years. And actually, it's the best part of my game now because when I grew up, I hit it so wild, and I worked on my swing, but I never really believed I was getting better. And then Arco's is like, "Hey, the best thing you do is drive the ball." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I'm actually a good mm. driver." So stats are very important, and then the stats also prove, you know, w- distance is massive, right? You know, they they've proven, you know, Mark Brody's book is awesome. You know, every shot counts because it. it shows you, hey, Zach Johnson from 170 in the fairway versus Bubba Watson from 140 in the rough, Bubba Watson's more accurate. You know, his his proximity to the hole is tighter than Zach Johnson, who's a very accurate player from the fairway. So if you can just get it down there farther, fairways aren't as important, you know, and that's yeah. a that's a huge factor. So I think that's why guys are starting to realize, man, I just need to hit it farther because, wow. And then along comes Bryson and is taking it to world long drive extremes and wins the U.S. Open. And everybody's like, I need to do this now, you know? And I think also most people, if you're like me, you know, I was told, If you didn't do it when you were 13, you missed your speed window. You know, you can't get correct. And it's like, oh shoot, I guess I should have swung hard when I was 13. And then along comes Bryson, and he's you know on tour, and all of a sudden his speed's going like this, and you're like, well wait a second. And then this guy tries it, and his speed goes, and you're like, wait a second. And then our buddy Mike Carroll with Fit for Golf is he's got 60 year old men whose club head speeds going up five miles an hour, and you're like, well wait a second. You know, so so the data and the stats are starting to say, well maybe this is possible. You know. Uh, Roger Bannister was the first person to ever run a mile under four minutes, and then the next year, like 20 people did it, then 50, then 100, then a 1, thousand, because people started believing it. So, one, mm-hmm. the belief that you can hit it farther is actually growing, and then two, we're starting to see the results of that. Like, it's better to swing hard and hit it in the rough than it is to try to dink it and hit it in the fairway most of the time.
0: Yeah, I say I say to my students, look, you can work on your bunker play. Or you can work on getting faster. If you become a better bunker player, it helps you a only when you're in a bunker, and B, only when you hit a better shot than the one you used to hit before. Right. So at the end of that season, you're going to be about that much better. <laughs> and if you increase your clubhead speed by five miles an hour, when does that help you? Well, on the first swing of the day, the second swing of the day, the third swing of the day, the fourth swing of the day, the fifth, you know, it's just you get paid these dividends. Absolutely. for every swing you take and right. that's why distance really matters and i think that's a great message for the everyday golfer exactly as you said when i was growing up it was like oh well he's got high club speed and he's got slow club speed uh, that's how you were born that is who you are it cannot change now i firmly believe that we have the knowledge base and the data to be able to help every golfer increase their club speed and I say to all my students, I don't care if you're in your 40s or your 70s, you should be increasing your club speed simply because of what we know. We know so much more today.
1: Yeah, great. That's great advice. Um, you know, I think the, the approach people take is when they first start playing, everybody slices because they have club face control problems. Their face is wide open, right? You know, in every yeah. sport we play, baseball or whatever, we don't have we don't have a club face, and then you start swinging. And those arms rotate and the, you know, the face gets open and we start, well, I need to slow down and try to hit it straight. Right. So we back off, back off, back off, And re- re- really, we think we're hitting it straighter, but when you hit it shorter, one degree offline is not as far offline as when, when Kyle Burchard hits it, this, the spectrum gets wider. Right. So, oh, I'm hitting it straighter. No, you're hitting it nowhere pro. Um, you know, so I yeah. think it's, it's, we need to tell amateurs keep swinging at it hard and let's try to figure right. out in that speed, how to get the face matched up better you know, to get rid of the slice versus slowing down and trying to control the face, you know, so uh, better, better, you know, like Dr. Bulls, you know, taught me if I move better, my miss will get better. And so just by trying to move better, I'm actually able to swing harder and actually hitting it more accurate versus before I spent all kinds of time trying to micromanage the club face and the shaft. Now Mm -hmm. I'm just moving better and swinging hard and actually ball flights coming in. So it's, you know, it's golf's a backwards game, as we know, you know, it it really is. Yeah. Oh, you're hitting it to the right. Well, swing to the right and it's gonna go left. What? You know, doesn't make sense, but that's the stupid <laughs> game we yeah. <to> play, right?
0: <laughs> that's that's an experience that I've had as well, Ted, because you know, you know, you sent me some cool emails the other, uh, uh, tweets the other day just trying to offer me some advice pertaining to club speed, and I, I certainly appreciate that. That's something I'm working on. I know you're working on it. We're both getting help from Mike Carol with Fit for Golf, but just When I swing all out, it amazes me with a little bit of practice. It amazes me how straight I can drive the golf ball. I think I hit it straighter at 114 than I do at 104 miles an hour.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's not unique to you. Um, Many times people have told Bubba, why don't you just swing hard? I've never seen you hit a bomb that didn't go straight. And it's true. When Bubba swings all out, trying to knock it over a bunker, he hits the fairway almost, you know, probably more than he does with his dink cut, you know? And that's because your brain, I think just with my own experience, your brain is more consistent when you're letting go than it is hanging on, you know, because that's Mm -hmm. the self doubt or whatever it's, you know, there's not many things we do really well with, with confidence. When we're, when we got a little, little, you know, taking some, some throttle off, you know, it's better to just say, Hey, I'm going to go for it. I mean, one of my friends growing up, he was a daredevil, and he never broke a bone. You know, literally, I was like, "How yeah. oh, you?" But he was so unafraid that when he fell, he would just roll and get up, and he was he'd get a little hurt, but he would just go for it. I mean, he just never thought of like I could actually get hurt doing this, and because yeah. of that, he never got hurt. You know, but the we we went mountain biking with a buddy who was scared to death, and my daredevil friend said, "No, you can ride over this." And the first time he ever went over a hill, he broke his collarbone. He's scared to death, frozen. You know, and I'm like, it like, sounds back. like me." And that's how we are as golfers. We're like, ah, oh, you know, let me make sure I hit the fairway and you hit it out of bounds. And then you give me another ball and you don't care. Ah, and you swing as hard as you can and right down the middle. Right. You're like, or mm. your second guy putting second guy putting just didn't, he just freed it up, you know, Never misses. because we are so attached to the result that we can't mm. put a better process in, you know? So like, I like to challenge mini tour players to say, Hey, if you're a mini tour player and you're struggling with freeing it up, go play a money game with, the the best players in that mini tour and purposely shoot an 80 and don't tell anybody what you're doing. I dare you. And nobody's ever been able to do it because they care too much, you know, about what those guys will think yeah. of them. And I'm like, until you can get, stop giving your power away to other people, you're never going to free it up. You know, I think that's what makes um, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kupka so good at golf, you know, and majors and stuff is that those guys just have the ability to be like, put their peg in the ground and just beat on it and then be like, Oh, it is over there let me go find it over here i mean there's yeah. no like oh boy what if it does this it's just sticking in the ground where you want me to hit this Wah! you know let <laughs> it go works out, yeah. out and that's probably why they're so good in majors you know because it's it's just that freedom aspect of it you know
0: yeah yeah and ted you know there's a lot of talk about a rollback any thoughts on that mm. what do you think
1: i absolutely hate the rollback you know and um i love the only the only way i do like it i like it for the price of golf you know i think less real estate less maintenance fees can lower the cost uh that would be amazing but i don't really like it in the sense that the reason that we're trying to do it you know uh years ago peter jacobson said this and i thought it was one of the greatest lines i'd ever heard we were playing in milwaukee and they had this pin and this you know mound and it was literally like leaning you know and you're going what what are they doing in the tournament it was the stupidest pin i've probably ever seen on tour and, uh, Peter Jacobson, we were playing when he calls the rules of the show, he goes, what are y'all doing? You know, it's in the tournament. And the guy said, well, there's been two birdies today. And Peter just immediately, I don't know how he thought of this. He goes, okay, so let me get this straight. If guys are running the hundred yard dash faster than they've ever run it, should we extend it 10 yards and still call it the hundred yard dash? And I thought that's such a brilliant yeah. analogy, you know, yeah. and I think that's what we're yeah. trying to do in golf. You know, athletes are getting better in every sport. They're running faster, jumping higher, scoring more. And we're trying to dial that back. And it's really only going to hurt the amateur because if you roll the ball back, Bubba's still going to be a long hitter and it's going to make the shorter hitter on tour, even shorter. He's going to, I think the, the window he's going to get farther away from Bubba instead of closer. So it really Mm -hmm. doesn't help, you know, really rough trees, dog legs. That's how you tighten up a golf course. You know, that's why Hilton head when a pro's not playing well, shoots four over five over, And then when he's playing well, shoots eight under, I like that. You know, I like a guy that when you're not playing well, you struggle when you're playing great. I want to see the best players, you know, go low. They're the best players in the world, you know? So that's how I look at it, but I'm not a fan of the rollback, you know, other than golf course costs. I think it's really kind of silly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a debate we could talk about for hours. I know that. And we would end up in the exact same place we started. Uh, we, we would get exactly nowhere, but we would have a fun discussion.
1: Sounds like my for um, 20 years, get back to the same place I started, like full circle Yeah, I still suck at driving the ball. What the
0: heck? <laughs> um, Ted, one of the things that, uh, that I wanted to run by you and just get some insight on was Bubba took pretty much what seemed like a year I think it was a year off okay it was an unofficial year off it was the year of the golf ball do you remember oh, that oh
1: you're talking about when he played with a different golf ball
0: yes yeah and i'm doing my best to not mention the golf ball but yeah you, you know, know he it, played with a different golf ball
1: it was actually was interesting because we uh we actually tested the ball even you know with a, a, the ping man and a flight scope and and the numbers were very similar, you know. So <clears throat> the only thing that I could see, because uh, I even tested it. He sent me a ball. He sent it to his, his best friend who's a scratch golfer. And we were like, man, it's a good ball. It really was. I mean, I didn't I didn't yeah. see different. The only thing I said, I, I think it spins this much more. Just, you know, kind of really don't see it, but it feels to me like it's just got a little more spin. And what happens when you get nervous is your ball speed goes up, right? And when your ball speed goes up, what else goes up? Spin your spin rate. Okay, so I think the thing was is there was a hint more, just the you know almost unnoticeable even with the trackman numbers or whatever at ping. You know it's like it's so close, it's like yeah it's it's really close. But that little bit of yeah. difference, and then you get adrenaline, starts to make a difference. So I described it like this to people that would want to know. I'd say if I was a NASCAR driver and I took my brand new tires off my car and put them on on my NASCAR, you know off my off my regular recreational car. them on my nascar man when i'm driving 70 down the road in my recreational car those things are pure they're 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 aligned well there's no shake but you take them 180 they're probably going to be shaky if they're not perfect right so that Mm. that ball speed and nerves you know just just that little bit of edge where he's you know i think it was a little bit of a struggle so
0: yeah yeah it was i was a i was happy to see him come back and also certainly happy to see him start to play well and start to win again once he switched back. yeah, uh, me that, and my that family was cool too, to see. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh Ted, you've got to see some amazing golf courses. And you've been to some cool golf destinations. Tell us, share a little bit with us, what are some of your favorites and uh where would you like to go and go and play if you could play anywhere?
1: Yeah, so uh in america i mean i've played you know uh, cypress ridiculous i mean that's you know cypress point is top is way up there Uh, i would say friar's head is is one of my favorites super cool yeah oh my gosh such a fun place Uh, ken the owner's great man too uh down in florida calusa pines that is a really fun track it's hard it's it's a blast the greens are faster than any tour greens we play and you know really saved and elevated and nasty. You know, if you miss a green, you're chipping into grain and super fast green. It's fun. You can, you can go back and forth across the greens, you know? So, uh, so those are some of my places I I have played Augusta. That was, that was a real treat. Um, so in America, those would be some of my favorites. Um, overseas, I love to go play golf everywhere. Uh, we played night golf in China, believe it or not a few times. And that was so fun, maybe (laughs) because it was night golf, but it's just like, I don't know what it is being in a foreign country and playing night golf. I think that's that's a fun thing to do. And I, and I understand like Dubai has some of that. So that would be fun to do. Um uh Scotland, you know, there's endless good golf courses in Scotland. One of my favorites is North Berwick. I, I think that place is yeah. so fun. Uh I like playing Old Preswick where they played the, the original uh, open. St. Andrews, of course, you know, amazing. So, but any kind of golf over there is so fun because you can run the ball, you know, it, and the weather can be, Whatever the weather makes the golf course. Um, Bub and I played troon for fun one day and it was downwind on the front nine and I was three under. This is the first time I ever played over there. I was three under on the front nine and I thought, man, this is easy. It was twenty five mile an hour (laughs) at our back. And I was driving greens and he was five under. And I'm like, man, this this isn't even that hard, this golf over here. And then we turned into the wind and I shot 51. I was like, This is the hardest golf ever. I mean, you could you could hit a ball. I think he shot four over and he striped it. I mean, it was so hard to keep your ball in line, you know. So, so it was just mm. a, a whole different type of challenge. That was fun. Uh, I'd love to go to Royal Melbourne and you know where we played the Presidents Cup. That place looked just. How sick. about
0: those? Yeah. Have you seen? Have you experienced greens firmer than Royal Melbourne anywhere?
1: Uh, I mean, it's about as good as it gets. So that was yeah. that was a blast. You know, caddying in the in the Presidents Cup down there, and uh, man, that place just looks like. It would be so fun to play against your buddies for five bucks, you know, (laughs) just be be laughing at them, you know, trying to do some of the short game shots around there. It'd be really fun.
0: You know, we took took, uh, a group of people to Australia in February 2020, just before the pandemic kind of kicked in. And the sense that I got was when we, I've been fortunate to play Royal Melbourne a few times. And the great feeling you get at Royal Melbourne is this, You stand on the first tee and you go, well, this doesn't look that bad. And you hit your shot and you hit it and you bounce over the green and you make a bogey and you go, okay, well, that's I I just made a bogey. And you stand on the second tee and you go, well, yeah, I I can do this. And you look at the green and it's a big green. Yeah, I can do that. And it kicks off into the left bunker and you make (laughs) a bogey and say, well, I'll get the next hole. And every hole gives you the sense that you can achieve. It gives you the feeling like, I can do this and you go, Oh, well, that was a good challenge. I didn't get it. I'll get it on the next hole. You just keep going. (laughs) It's really so much fun.
1: It is fun. It is fun. It's fun when you can go actually play a course. That's kind of why I like Friar's head, you know, it gives you opportunity, but it's not easy, you know, and I feel like, Hey, anybody can play here and enjoy themselves, you know, but it still has an element of difficulty that makes it fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. Golfers have to feel like they can achieve, and you've got to have that fun and that interest you know that it's it's easy to make a beast of a golf course with 490 yard uphill skinny par 4s and yeah. you know i'm sure you see a ton of those as well uh, but i think for the everyday player we want i want to get out there and feel like i can do it you know i want to, yeah. i may not be able to but i want to at least feel like i can
1: right you want to feel like there's some hope right
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay. Ted, um, I'm going to, I'm going to fire a couple of fast finish questions here at you. Oh. And, uh, there's a couple of good ones. I think I, I, I know which way you're going to go on some of them, but that's why we ask the questions. Cause they're always surprises. There are always surprises. Um, okay. Let's get started. Fast finish questions here. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, Pebble Beach or St. Andrews? St. Andrews. Caddyshack or Tin Cup? Caddyshack. I'm so glad you said that. I'm like that, you know, that's, that's the one. <laughs> uh, would you rather be the best iron player or the best driver?
1: Uh, I would say the best driver.
0: Jack or Tiger. Links Golf or Parkland Golf? Links. Open Championship or the US Open?
1: Open Championship.
0: Interesting. Annika or Mickey Wright? Mickey Wright. Old school. No. Uh, the Rolling Stones or the Beatles?
1: Shit, I don't know music that well. <laughs> I passed. <laughs> <laughs> pass. That's, I'm the worst that's, that's the first. Person.
0: I know that's the, the first pass, pass we've ever had. I like it. I like the <laughs> pass on Rolling Stones, Beatles. I like that. Yeah, I don't
1: know them well enough. I, I, you'd have to play some songs for me to, to know that answer.
0: <laughs> um, major championship or money list?
1: Major championship.
0: Cool. And then this is the, the, I asked this to a lot of people, but this is a question I thought of this morning when I was prepping for this for you. Um, If you go and play a golf course, walk or ride? Walk. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I I honestly thought you would
0: have said ride. I'm like, I've had enough of walking.
1: Yeah. Let me clarify. If it's a good golf course, walk. Like if I, if it's a a place like where I'm going to enjoy the experience, you know, If I'm going to Pebble Beach or a place like that, of course I want to walk, you know, and and I will walk all day. But if I'm just going to play a round of golf at some place, you know, not to say that that every place is bad, but definitely. So it's situational, but I do enjoy walking. I really do. I would say walking with a caddy if I had to add, because I don't really want to carry clubs anymore. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's why I was like, oh no, he's going to pick, he's going to pick ride. Definitely. <laughs>
1: yeah. I have a joke so, with Ted, my friends. I tell them, I say, look, they look at my bag. they like, man, your clubs are dirty. I'm like, look, there's a few things I don't do when I'm at home. I don't clean my clubs. And I
0: don't walk. <laughs> <laughs> I got those boxes checked. Thank you. Uh, Ted, I know you love to coach and, and you just love the game as much as we all do. If you could share some advice for the average golfer, the regular weekend golfer, and you had 30 seconds and you could say, I want you to go and do this one thing. If you could tell the whole gamut of golfers from you know five handicappers to 25 handicappers, what would you say in 30 seconds to them?
1: Uh, I would say go and swing without trying to do something and get to know your, your subconscious swing, the one that just shows up because that's the most predictable person we are. And then from there, take that, that model and say, okay, now I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to mold that model slowly. You know, I think too many people go and try a whole new system. I'm gonna do stack and tilt, and then I'm gonna go you know, Butch Harmon's way, and then I'm gonna go over here to Andrew Rice, and then I'm gonna go see Ted Scott, and they, and they get all these different ideas. And, and there's two problems with that in my opinion. One is they get too far from themselves so they don't have no trust in it because they don't know it. And then two, there's no confidence because they change too often. That's what I think. Too many people are internet mm. internet, you know, uh, yeah. students, right? They, they read everything, watch everything, golf channel, read a book. And then they try to put all that into their game. So I would say, find out who you are and then slowly try to improve you. Don't try to be somebody else completely. Because when we mm. get too far away from who we are, we basically don't have any confidence and you know it's the most consistent thing we do is be ourselves you know that's the thing that's the easiest so if you slice mm-hmm. you know, people i i, I want to stop slicing well bubba slices it he's pretty good so you know why can't you slice it if, if you could slice it every time and i mean bruce litsky sliced it he was really good so you know i think we just have we make it too complex so that's the, the route that i would tell people to go probably longer than 30 seconds sorry
0: uh, you got it. We, we gave you a little extra credit time there, Ted. Thanks caddy so much for joining us, my friend.
1: Hey, that was caddy 30 seconds. That's like when you tell your pro, Yeah, I'm just staying like three minutes down the road and you need a ride. You know, it's really like <laughs> caddy three minutes about 10 minutes. Yeah. Just
0: so you know. it's yeah, you're in the next county. Um, Ted, thanks so much for those insights. Really appreciate it. It's cool to learn from you, my friend. Uh, keep putting out your good information. I love the message you share. Uh, you're a really good guy. Keep it up and let people see that, mate. I know you're you're doing that daily. Um, it's great stuff. Don't change.
1: Hey Andrew, thanks for the encouragement, buddy. I feel the same about you, man. So keep going.
0: Thanks, Ted. Appreciate the time, man. All the best in uh, San Diego. All right, brother. Talk soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye.